even just keeping your blood sugar stable can make you less anxious by this afternoon. So a lot of us, when we're having a blood sugar crash, it induces a stress response in the body, puts us immediately into a state of anxiety or even panic. All right, everyone, welcome to today's episode of Heal Thyself. As always, thank you for taking the time out of your day. This is gonna be a good, good show. If you remember, I did a show recently on food sensitivity testing, food intolerance testing, talking about my take, if they're really helpful. And you'll notice I spoke a little bit about on that show, our immune system, our nervous system, and our digestion. How do they all play together? If one is dysregulated or imbalanced, or deficient, or diseased, is the other one going to suffer? We really need to understand this because all three play a role with each other. And by optimizing all, you're optimizing your overall health, reducing inflammation, strong immune system, strong nervous system, and of course, strong digestion. I'm gonna teach you how to do it in the Knowledge Bomb segment. Today's special guest, Dr. Ellen Vora, all the way from New York City. She's a renowned psychiatrist who has it all when it comes to the information about anxiety. She's gonna tell us about the anatomy of anxiety. What does that even mean? Well, how does anxiety work in the body? Is it beneficial? And what are some of the things, if we suffer with anxiety, which so many of us do, what are some of the things that we need to be doing with ourselves to regulate our nervous system, to bring down our anxiety? And what are the root causes of anxiety? How often do people talk about it? We go to the doctor and we get a medication to palliate it, but what are the root causes that we need to be addressing now? She's gonna tell us what they are and how to address them. It's gonna be a really, really good episode. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alitura Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, 
it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. If we have food intolerance or food sensitivity, I mentioned about our nervous system and the role that our nervous system plays in our digestion. And it's imperative for us to understand this because to improve our digestion, we need to improve our nervous system. Now, this is very important. We have to understand how our nervous system connects to our digestion and how it connects to our immune system. So at this point, a lot of us are more than educated on what the parasympathetic nervous system does. We heard about rest and digest, about fight or flight or freeze, right? But I want to go into a little more detail rather than just saying that. I want you to know exactly what the nervous system is doing during digestion. It's really important for us to know because this is for us to understand the role it plays on how we react with our food. And it's an important, important, important concept because we eat food all the time and because so many of us are chronically stressed. Now, the nervous system has a vital role in motility. That's how the intestines move, when they move, but also how much blood they're getting and when. It's also essential for our nervous system to be functioning optimally because it also plays a role in shooting out those chemicals that help us break down and absorb food. Now, the more your nervous system is dysregulated during meals, the poorer movement of your intestines, the less blood you get to your digestive organs, the less you fully break down food, and the less you absorb that food. And actually, our digestive system has a nervous system of its own, believe it or not. It's called the enteric nervous system, and it has more than 100 million nerve cells. And you know when you get nervous and you feel those butterflies in your stomach? Well, that's your enteric nervous system at work. And this is why when we're stressed, we usually feel it first in our digestive system. It's the enteric nervous system firing off. And there are as many neurons in the system as there are in the spinal cord. And you want to know what's fascinating about the enteric nervous system is that it can operate as its own system, independent of the brain. It's mostly connected to the brain by the vagus nerve, and I did a whole show on the vagus nerve. The enteric nervous system operates largely by the release of a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. Now that pushes that motility, the blood flow, the secretion, and the absorption. Now when you get stressed, there's a different neurotransmitter at play. Remember, I just mentioned acetylcholine. Its antagonist is norepinephrine, and that's coming from the adrenals. This neurotransmitter actually does the opposite. 
and it reduces movement of the intestines, reduces blood flow to the intestines, reduces secretion of the chemicals that break down food, and it ultimately reduces the absorption of those nutrients. And we feel those effects. They're potent when we're stressed. And that's the digestive system, but what about the immune system? For the immune system, it plays a role on how the body reacts to food. Now bear with me. For some reason, for so many years, medicine has looked at these two systems as separate, right? The nervous system and the digestive system, which is consistent with the reductionist fashion of which the body is seen. But at this point, we know it's holistic. We know that all systems interact with each other and it's like a symphony. It couldn't be more true of the relationship with the nervous system and the immune system. We're now seeing evidence of a mutual bi-directional communication between the two and when it comes to human physiology and how the body's functioning. Now, this was highlighted in an article in Frontiers in Immunology magazine called Neuroendocrine Networks Controlling Immune System in Health and Disease. The central nervous system regulates immune function, inflammation, and pathogen responses against host tissues through the production of inhibitory cytokines, hormones, and other soluble molecules able to signal the brain which in turn exerts strong regulatory effects on the immune system. Now that's a quote from the article. In other words, the function of the immune system, inflammation, and how pathogens affect us are regulated by signals from the brain that are sent out to the immune system. And that's incredible and here's why. Because the brain is regulating the immune system and it's largely by the sympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve. So then it stands to believe that any dysregulation or dysfunction in any of these are gonna compromise the healthy interaction between the brain and the immune system. What do we also notice when we have a dysregulated autonomic nervous system with sympathetic dominance? Gut issues. What do we notice when we have dysregulation or dysfunction in the vagus nerve? Gut issues. And what do we see in the large majority of folks with autoimmune disease? Gut issues, and this is likely why. Your nervous system health is everything. If you have a dysregulated nervous system, you cannot be healthy. Now we just learned in more detail how the nervous system disrupts digestion. We just learned in more detail how the nervous system influences the immune system, inflammation, and even how pathogens are handled in the body. So how do we promote a healthier nervous system? Keeping a healthy body, reducing inflammation with good food? Sure, we know that. Strengthening and regulating the nervous system with good sleep and circadian balance? Yeah, sure, we know that too. Balancing sympathetic response with exercise, post-meal walks, reducing screen time, no phones during meals, being mindful when eating, well, we definitely know that helps. And we surely know about stress reduction techniques like meditation, yoga, tai chi, qigong, breath work, all super powerful, all helpful. And you may even know about the role of the vagus nerve in strengthening it. Things like polyvagal theory, all that juicy info, that's good stuff, but listen closely. It's all for naught if you have suppressed emotions and they're in the fascia, which the nervous system is actively utilizing resources to keep them suppressed. Do you know what happens when you liberate these emotions? When you feel them, when you transcend from them? The nervous system uses those resources to get back in balance. So if you have autoimmune disease, gut issues, do all the things the doctor tells you. I bet you already know most of the things that help, but if they haven't fully done the job, you have to, have to, have to, and I can't stress this enough, address the deepest parts of you. That's my piece, I'm sticking to it. I love you all. Address those latent emotions, those suppressed emotions, to really, really liberate your nervous system. Make sure your nervous system is actively in balance and in health. Do all of the other things 
more on the surface, but you gotta get to the root of it. Really hope that helped. Digestive health, autoimmune disease, nervous system, immune system, all of that is there for you right at your fingertips. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience a brew that's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm going to tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid, scientific, research based, rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity, and this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been opened and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights and these are staples. And, I, and not just me, I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle, staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. 
I got a special guest today, Dr. Ellen Vora. She's an author of The Anatomy of Anxiety, and she is a holistic psychiatrist. And we're gonna talk about all things on Mental Health Awareness Month. We're gonna talk about all things mental health, particularly anxiety. How many of you suffer with anxiety? I do, and I know what triggers it, but do we connect the triggers? Do we know what we can do to remedy it? Well, we're gonna get all of the good stuff right now from the esteemed, the awesome, the amazing Dr. Ellen. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. Man, look, I'm all hyped up and you have such a nice, calm vibe. <laughs> I, I know, I know you're, you're taking in all of your recommendations. You have to be. Yeah, no, I definitely live what I preach. There's mm -hmm. no other way. I mean, the reason I preach it is that it's what's worked for me. Mm -hmm. It's what works for my patients, so. I love that. And, and as a New Yorker, mm -hmm. I'm not feeling New Yorker energy here. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit of an oddball in New York City. I might be an oddball wherever I lived. Just in general. Yeah, but I try to bring a little <laughs> bit of a grounded energy to that place. I love it. Well, I'm really grateful to have you here. And the stuff that you love talking about is really the stuff that like lights me up because I see how many people are suffering right now. Yeah. But from the get-go, I want to know just, I mean, I usually ask this question at the end, but from the get-go, what are the three things we can do for our anxiety right now? Mm -hmm. Like if you wanted to be less anxious by tomorrow, mm -hmm. three things. I, I struggle to narrow it down to three, but let's say this. Um, even just keeping your blood sugar stable can make you less anxious by this afternoon. So a lot of us, when we're having a blood sugar crash, it induces a stress response in the body, puts us immediately into a state of anxiety or even panic. Mm -hmm. And so keeping our blood sugar stable, which you can approach the definitive way of eating a blood sugar stabilizing diet, avoiding refined carbohydrates and sugar. If that's too hard, a spoonful of almond butter, a spoonful of coconut oil, something like that can give you a nice safety net of blood sugar. Mm -hmm. It'll blunt a blood sugar crash and you'll avoid an unnecessary stress response. Getting the phone out of the bedroom is a really nice intervention. People who haven't done it yet, they're like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. And I saw the look in your face, like anyone who has already done that, they're like, yeah, yeah. how did I wait so long? Makes a big difference mm -hmm. for so many reasons, not suppressing our melatonin, not keeping us you know, endlessly scrolling on the attention economy that has no stopping point, not doom scrolling and bathing ourselves in fear messaging right before bed. And then, a little bit of magnesium glycinate goes a long way for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And if I can sneak in like extra credit ones, bonus. I would say get outside into sunshine, fresh air, nature if you have access to it, and just move your body in whatever way feels good. Mm. I love those recommendations because what I'm hearing are really accessible, mm -hmm. fairly cheap, yep. right? Magnesium isn't the most expensive supplement out there. Yeah. And something that we can do routinely as long as we start getting into the habit. Yeah. You know, and it's it's wild for us how dis, dis equalized we are every single day with yeah. all of these things, right? It's like, and we don't know. Whoever taught us in high school how to balance our blood sugar oh, through diet, you know? Oh. And so many people are like, I don't know. I just feel really weird after I eat like this, you know? So these type of things, I'm so glad that you're teaching us. But talking about blood sugar. Yeah. What are some of the foods that are really dysregulating us? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think your audience at this point like has its PhD in this, but yeah. in case it's helpful to review. For sure. I mean, we can get really in the weeds or you can step back. And I think a really useful, simple compass is generally err on the side of eating real food. 
real food. It grew in the ground or it was part of a healthy animal. And generally err on the side of avoiding fake food, which is basically processed food. And I think the, we, the real, like we start cooking with gas, when we start to examine the ways that it's so hard to do that in our modern food environment, that trying to do that becomes its own source of anxiety. So like if we all lived on Whole30 Island and everything was like cooked out of Max Lucavere's cookbook, right. right? Then there'd be no need for drama or delicate balance or any of that. We would just eat real food and be no big deal. If the soil was healthy, if the agribusiness of our country was sort of a love project rather than a really soulless, you know, morally corrupt industry, it would be easy. But instead, we're navigating this food landscape that makes it incredibly difficult to eat real food. And then we need to start looking into how do we do this from a place of ease where we still connect to pleasure, where we still say yes to social engagements, where we don't do this from a place of self-negation or self-punishment, self-loathing. We don't do it to be perfect. It's not rolling over to toxic diet culture. It's it's an act of radical self-love every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really hard to balance. But the real answer to your question is, I don't know, you got to eat a balance. It's like a Come little on. bit of well-sourced meat, a little bit of starchy tubers and a bunch of vegetables with liberal amounts of healthy fat throughout. Mm -hmm. Throw in some bone broth and fermented foods and you've got a pretty good diet. Yeah, and, and, and that works so much for so many people. But so many of us are eating really fast, on the go, processed food, stopping by the corner store, you know, and on the road and eating this bar, yeah. saying that like protein bar, right? But it's yeah. got tons of sugar and tons of preservatives. And, you know, I don't blame people for their blood sugar going up and down because of one, the lack of education that we were taught mm -hmm. and the accessibility of all this food that is yeah. seemingly healthy, yeah. you know? And marketed as healthy. And marketed as healthy. Which, I mean, if anything is marketed as anything, like you pretty much know it's a processed food. Right, <laughs> so, right. Because like big avocado isn't here telling us like this is healthy. Yeah, yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe we sort of intuitively know that like, yeah. oh, this came from the ground. It's probably going to be healthy, right? Yeah. I love that you said that because the marketing is the genius behind what really yeah. has put us into a state of like eating all this food and being confused all the time about it. And this challenge of doing this in a convenient way, like I... I live this challenge and I haven't fully hacked it, but I think it's important to embrace batch cooking, meal delivery services, and glass Tupperware. And, and embrace like having a backpack with you where you carry along your food when needed, but also to not be so obsessive or so fixated or f afraid of occasionally loosening the reins. But basically what I do is we, we batch cook, usually on Sunday, made a large volume of food, pack that up into Pyrex glass Tupperware, put that in the fridge, and then when you're ready for lunch, when you're going to be out of the house, you just grab one of those and you eat that. Mm. And it's your real food with a nice balance of, it has your red meat, it has your starchy tuber, it has your vegetables, and you bring it with you. And then when you're in a situation where you can't eat that way, you're having dinner out with friends at a Mexican restaurant, that's when you remind yourself, my body's not that fragile. And eating with the right attitude and enjoying in the ease and the pleasure of breaking bread with friends is also a health practice. Mm -hmm. So we need to be able to kind of have an 80-20 about it. Mm -hmm. I love that you said 80-20 because a lot of us become inundated with, okay, here's the information, eat healthy. Here's how I'm going to put it into practice. And then it becomes a compulsion. Yeah. Where there's no room. And I've, I was guilty of it in school. I was like, 
there's no way I'm going to even touch that, yeah. you know? And like, and I was crazy. I was writing down my sodium and, and sugar and fat and carbohydrates. And I was tracking and tracking and tracking. My God, the amount of stress that that put on me was probably more unhealthy yeah. than not going to, you know, the corner spot in, at college and eating like a fat sandwich with, you know, fries in it at some point, yeah. you know? Just the relief of, like you said, breaking bread with friends. Um, so we have to put that into perspective for a lot of people, right? Orthorexia is a big problem. And I, it weighs heavily on me that I feel like I've been responsible for tipping some people over from, you know, they were really inflamed, they were undernourished, and they were feeling anxious or depressed. So I opened their eyes to, hey, what you eat matters. And I said, here's a better way to eat and all that. And I thought I was helping, but I actually sent people down a path of, oh God, I didn't realize this. And, industrially processed seed oils, oh my God, it's in everything. Mm -hmm. And then they become fixated and obsessive and orthorexic. That's not helping anybody's anxiety because yeah. then you're saying no to social engagements. You're, you're missing out on opportunity for connection, a far better salve for anxiety than any amount of anti-inflammatory eating. Right. And then you're fearing food and feeling fragile. And that just further tells our body that we're unsafe and it, it puts us in a fear response. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this tension between orthorexia, doing everything perfectly, and running the other way to a kind of like, you know, one version of body positivity where it's, as my friend Elise put it, um, eating like a teenager, mm. which like we think we're kind of flipping the bird to toxic diet culture, but then we run right into the pockets of the processed food industry and, you know, they're designing and engineering food to be addictive. Yeah. And, um, and we think we're sovereign and we think we're doing something for self-love and treating ourselves, but then we still don't feel well. Yeah. Um, and so we really need to strike that balance where we're not really rolling over to toxic diet culture or to the processed food industry that's like, bet you can't eat just one. It's yeah. like, <laughs> the joke is on us. We literally can't because yeah. it's engineered to be addictive. Yeah. And I think that looking one layer beneath orthorexia, like we wouldn't have this problem at all were it not for the fact that so much of our food has been engineered to be addictive. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if our food just was real food and we weren't, it wasn't hyper palatable, we weren't getting addicted, I don't think any of us would have that moment of, oh crap, like I need to eat completely differently than how I've been eating. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't have gotten sick in the first place from how we're eating. So, so I just think like, there's just no blame here um, on anyone, whatever phase of this journey they're on. Um, I think it's, well, there is blame. It's on the food industry. But I right. think that we get into this for very understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. well, of course. And we can't not. It's a giant trap that we yeah. are bound to at some point all fall into. Yeah. Uh, it, and like you said, it's designed. There's scientists that make sure that it's hyper palatable, that we go, whoa, I want another chip. Why was this so good? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> it's like blueberries don't taste this good. You know what I mean? <laughs> God, like this, you know, packaged blueberries way better. But um, so, so important to find that space where you feel freedom, you feel autonomous. You go, no, I'm in, I'm in charge of my food. And guess what? I'm going to go to this Mexican restaurant. We're going to have a good meal, me and my friends. Yeah. You find that balance, man. You're already doing everything you need from the nutrition standpoint and the anxiety of human connection. We need to connect more. Yes. Right? That is, that is so huge. How big of a role is the community playing over the years as you learn more about this? How important is it? Mm. I mean, I do everything through an ancestral lens. Like, there's no, this isn't like, here's what's morally superior. It's really understanding how we are wired through our DNA. And on the proverbial savanna of evolution, 
We were never the strongest species. We were not the fastest species. We were the ones who cleverly figured out how to cooperate and to prevail through cooperation. And for that reason, it's in our hardwiring that when we feel held in community, part of the tribe, we feel safe. And if we feel like we're on the outs, if we've been ostracized, if we've been shunned, if we're left out, if we're not liked, we, it feels life or death on some part of our DNA. It really feels like um, survival is at stake. It hurts. And I think that here we are in modern life where we're siphoned off into SUVs and McMansions and social media bubbles and echo chambers and so much of social media, it sometimes helps us connect, right? Like, I wouldn't know of your existence right. were it not for Instagram. And that, you know, I don't cavalierly move past that. It's meaningful. But every time we're scrolling, it is a little bit of an opportunity cost for this, for being in person with somebody. Mm -hmm. And we know that, that the gestalt of connecting with people in person, it gives us more than that kind of artificial sweetener connection to Instagram. We, um, we have a shared experience. There's mm -hmm. some kind of energy exchange yeah. that helps meet fundamental human needs. So I think we were already in an epidemic of loneliness even before the pandemic. And then we were taught to fear people outside of our household, taught to think they're a risk to us, we're a threat to them, and just became even more connected to our screens and socially distancing. And here we are, and there's been skyrocketing rates of depression and anxiety, and I think that those two things are connected. Mm. You know, one of the things that blew me away was learning how biologically important community is mm -hmm. to even parameters when you look at our blood work and and how important it is from inflammation and 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 even even addiction to smoking right mm -hmm. like even if you're a smoker you also have to ask your patient do you have good community yeah right like yeah. i was like wait what do you mean like i thought like that was the parameter first or i thought this was parameter when i started learning about that i go community 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 and i hit this part where i was like oh my God, we're so socially isolated. This was before the pandemic too. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened, and it's exactly what you said. It's like, we're taught to be scared of each other. You're taught to say that you're a burden to someone else if you have a little cough or something, mm -hmm. right? That might not even be COVID. And mm -hmm. this unfolds, and now you're seeing a boom of, like you said, anxiety and depression. Where do we go then from here? How do we reestablish community in a modern world where we have, like you said, McMansions or we're in SUVs? How do we start establishing community? Because a lot of people, they'll hear community shows or people talk about how I'm in the middle of Kansas right now. How do I find people who, who I can connect with? Yeah. Where do we start? Yeah. Okay, so I have a little bit of a field of dreams approach to this. Like, we have to go first. And it's a little bit like, if you build it, they will come. Think about how you like to connect with people. Some people like a big group. Some people are super introverted and really don't like that. And that's not doesn't feel good to their nervous system. So you figure out what's the social context that lights me up and feels good. And then you put it out there and you throw it out there to, to people and some people will say no and that'll feel like a little bit of a rejection, but it ends up acting as a filter because the people who will say yes, you have something in common with and you have a shared value and a shared way of enjoying company. And then I'm a big proponent of lowering our standards for how we host. So for example, I'm in LA right now, right? Staying in an Airbnb mm -hmm. and it's a mess and it's not that nice. And I'm gonna host people for dinner. Great. And so um, I'm not cooking <laughs> and I'm gonna order takeout. 
and we're going to sit around in this messy, dingy Airbnb, and we're going to eat food together and just connect and have a good conversation. And I do this all the time in New York. It's like, the house is a mess. I'm a mess. We didn't have time to cook. Put all that aside. Have no pressure on ourselves to do this properly, because the goal here is not to impress anybody. It's, you know, I don't have as this love language, I've made you a six-course meal. It's basically just the goal is connection. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that there's a lot to be said for how we can be disarming, because I think a lot of us are socially awkward. And a lot of us have social anxiety. And if we didn't before, we do now because we feel rusty at social interaction. Yeah. And so much of how we feel uncomfortable around each other is when, like, when we're uncomfortable, we exude that. And then it makes other people uncomfortable and it just becomes this spiral. Oh, my God, I've been there before. So we just need humor. We yeah. need goofiness. We need to give ourselves permission to be flawed and to yeah. just show up and, and remind ourselves, well, I'm just a flawed human out here doing my best, wanting to connect. Some people are going to pick up on that. Great. Some people, it's not going to go so well. Also great. It's all okay. I love that. And I, I love the idea of just hosting with the only intention to connect. Yeah. Doesn't have to be perfect. I um, have a group of friends, but uh, it started early on. Every Thursday, one of them would go, I'm going to have, she just moved here. She's like, her and a friend, we're going to have Thursday dinners and we're going to invite certain people and whoever comes, comes. And every Thursday, more and more people started showing up. But before every dinner, we'd be sitting on the floor and there'd always be a prompt and uh it would invite people to tell these self-deprecating, goofy stories, uh -huh. including myself. I've, and, and, and people were cracking up, right? And they're like, <laughs> who's this guy? He's such a goofy weirdo. But like, for me, it was also disarming for me because I'm like, oh, there you have it. You know, like there's, there's me in a nutshell. And then it's interesting. After the stories were done and before like the food was coming out or served, people started talking more to other people. They were like, oh my God, I've been there. I've done that before, you know? <laughs> you start seeing the unfolding of connections without the, like you said, awkward feeling. Like when you get there and everyone has their hands in their pockets, they're like, oh, where are you from? What part of LA are you from? <laughs> but after the story, it's like real, like you hear, you feel the blanket of authenticity just, you know, cover everyone. Yeah. And it's beautiful. So I love that you said no other intention other than connection. Maybe start a prompt. Maybe do a prompt I for everyone. I love that. I really loved um, Esther Perel's game. Uh, I think it's called Where Should We Begin? And it has these prompts, these questions. And I use it very casually all the time as just a conversation starter. But yeah, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we give other people permission to do the same. It changes the whole trajectory of how we connect with each other. Yeah. And I, and I, I notice when people are uh, given the space to... Uh, speak their mind without, you know, judgment or even like show off a talent, like sing, rap, draw something, like mm. anything, then people are like, wow, I can appreciate that. Yeah. I want to show more of myself. It's like this crazy that like permission or open up space, permission, open up space, and people just keep unfolding. And all of a sudden, like a few weeks into it, I was like, I see you every week here. You're a pretty amazing person, man. Well, like, we should be, like, kind of good friends, no? And they're like, yeah, hey, you want to be friends? And we're like, well, let's be friends. And <laughs> it's friends? Are we friends? And we're still friends. And they've been out on the podcast here, and, like, we, we hang out. Like, all because there was an authentic connection, so. And you just said something really profound, um, which is, like, we are at this moment, we've had Brene Brown teach us all about vulnerability yeah. and shame, and so we're starting to tiptoe into the space of sharing our vulnerabilities, what we have some shame around, what we feel like is not our, our best foot forward. It's not the usual performance of us as like no flaws. Yeah. 
but you also said like share a talent. And could that perhaps be the next frontier, which is actually also owning our divinity? Mm-hmm. And we're already pretty good at being like, I'm bad. I'm, you know, I have all these flaws. Like sharing it with others felt super vulnerable, but it was actually only so vulnerable. Yeah. And the real vulnerability is um, I am capable of accessing self-love. Mm-hmm. I recognize my own divinity. I recognize that I have gifts to offer. And we still culturally are kind of like, whoa, that's arrogant. Right. That, you know, we still don't fully celebrate that, I think, especially for women. And so giving ourselves permission to also just step into our divinity is, I think is a beautiful next frontier. Oh, 100%. How, how do we not even have the need to want to show that, right? Like as soon as we feel that, there's like, it's sort of like our purpose to show it to everyone, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. please share that. I want to see, like, eat. you know what it, it even is? Like, there's some people, like, they'll be like, I love singing. I'm like, sing. They're not the best singer, but it's it's literally the flow of them being in that present state of showing soul through that yeah. through that part of them. Yeah. Where I'm like, fuck, I, I was completely lost for the past 60 seconds about how into it that I became so into it. Yeah. Or even if there is someone really talented, sure, share that too. Like, But, like, we need to start becoming more authentic in our gifts. And really seeing what our gifts are, right? Because a lot of us are like, I don't know, I've just been told I've been good at this. Just share it with everyone, you know? And that's so powerful at the mental health aspect because, man, you feel good in your body after that. And what you're alluding to is also like we just discussed, we have a fundamental human need to connect. We also have a fundamental human need to create. And when I look at mental health, I look holistically, you know, and I'm certainly focused on the functional medicine piece, the physical aspects of mental health, recognizing it's not just all the neck up, it's not just our brain chemistry, it's not a genetically determined fixed trait, like just a chemical imbalance. If anything, that chemical imbalance is a downstream effect of states of imbalance happening elsewhere in the body. Mm-hmm. So I focus on inflammation and gut health and blood sugar and micronutrient deficiencies yeah. and sleep and all of that. But... I've also recognized our, our health, our mental health, it's equal parts, um, has a material physical reality and it has a psycho-spiritual basis. And we cannot ignore that. And that's where we get into our fundamental need for connection, our fundamental need to create, to be artists as yeah. humans. I don't think yeah. we can avoid that. And I forget where I heard this concept. I think it's a Brene Brown term, but art scar, mm. like at some point in our childhood, we just naturally were like, I made something. And somebody was like, well, that's not good enough for X and Y and Z reason. And we're like, I will never offer this to the world again. So we walk around with these art scars and we're bottled up in our creativity, which impacts our sensuality and our sexuality. It impacts like the flow of energy in our being. And so a lot of us need to do some healing and rehabilitation around creation, making art, doesn't matter whether or not it's good. It's the act of creation and letting that source energy flow is really mm. um, the purpose of it. So it, it goes along with sharing your talent and yes. singing, whether or not we're a good singer. Who cares? Who cares? It's Who creation. Cares? You know, something that always struck me, and I read it somewhere, is that uh, the biblical reference of uh, you're made in the eyes of God mm is referring to you are a creator. Mm-hmm. Our very essence is to create. Whether we know it or not, we are always doing it with thoughts, words, and actions. Yeah. Now the question is, can you consciously create with your gifts, which is even more powerful? 
because people are touched every time you know that you have this gift and you're creating with it. So for me, it's like, I always challenge people. I was like, well, create. What, what is it that you want to create? Forget your job. What is a hobby? What is something that is deep within you? What did you do when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. Before that, like mm-hmm. you said, beautifully, the art scar. <laughs> you know, for me, I remember singing. Uh, I, I sound like two drunken alley cats in the in in alley. <laughs> I know I can't. But I remember being told, like, not to sing at some point in my life, right? Maybe dance. I know I can dance. But also, I know that, like, I was probably stifled at some point with doing that. So I felt uncomfortable for a lot of my life. And it's all of these things. I'm like, holy shit. Like, this is affected, like you said, sensuality, sexuality, Mm -hmm. expression. Because it's just like, no, no, you're not safe to create. You're not safe to be. You're not safe to, I'm not that good of a drawer, but I used to draw when I was a kid all the time. Mm. Do you know what brings me peace? When I do all of those things. When I'm able to dance in the shower or sing like an Usher concert in the shower, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever it is, or just draw if I need to. That's, for me, like such a root for mental health, like you said, above the neck. That is what I notice. It's like, yeah, let's get the micronutrients, let's get the gut health, the inflammation, the blood sugar. But what about the really deep stuff about you? Yeah. Right? And and I just, I love that we're having that part of the conversation. because it's so, so powerful. Um, but, but, but shifting gears, you mentioned a few more things, and mm-hmm. I want to touch on those things. Yeah. Um, you mentioned micronutrient deficiencies. How often are you seeing magnesium as one of the big ones? I mean, that's everybody. Everybody. Um, if you really check it properly, like looking at RBC or red yeah. blood cell magnesium levels, we're all deficient in it, which makes sense because our food is deficient, because our soil is deficient. So none of us is getting enough magnesium. And that's a really nice no-brainer to feel better because it's, as you mentioned earlier, it's not an expensive supplement. It's not rocket science to make good magnesium glycinate. And then you can kind of gauge for yourself the right amount. I usually tell people to start with one capsule, like 120 milligrams. Mm -hmm. And some people need to ramp up a bit. Some people, that's the right amount. You usually know if you're taking too much because you get loose stool. And it's helpful for anxiety, but also insomnia, migraines, menstrual cramps, muscle tension in general, longevity, cardiovascular health, digestion. Um, You just have to do a thing, which is take this pill at night. Um, Bedtime is a good time to take it because it kind of can drop you in and help you fall asleep. And so I see so much magnesium deficiency. Vitamin B12 is a big one that comes up. Um, That one can have very, very real mental health implications. And a lot of people are vitamin B12 deficient. And interestingly, it happens with a lot of health-conscious folks. So, you know, and I really honor all the different reasons that we make different choices with diet. I was for the longest time vegetarian and then eventually vegan and for a hot minute raw vegan. And, you know, Mm. I went on that whole journey of like, how do I heal my body? And I thought I was making the healthy choice. And I do think there are thriving vegans in the world. Like I've seen them, they're my patients, they're my friends. My personal constitution wasn't set up to be a thriving vegan, Mm. at least not in a place like New York City with winter. And so what I needed to do was reincorporate red meat and bone broth and chicken liver pate into my diet. Mm. And then that's what allowed me to feel well again. And it turns out I was vitamin B12 deficient and then I, I really healed that. It's not impossible to do that with supplements, but you just want to be conscious. Right. A lot of people are super... I remember when I was doing a lot of uh, nutrient testing, I would see but B12, yeah. magnesium yeah. all the time, yeah. vitamin D, just so oh, yeah. many people. Yeah. But I was always shocked how low B12 was. Mm-hmm. And it was in, in, in vegans and even non-vegans. Yep. 
And I'm like, what's going on here, right? What I always say, and, and I've been eating plant-based for 11 years now, is Amazing. you really have to know what you're doing. You can't just jump in and go, I'm going to get this frozen patty, I'm going to eat this processed, you know, fake meat, uh, you know what I mean? And like yeah. eating all these carbs. I mean, for the first year, I was a mess. Like my red blood cells were a mess, my white blood cells were a mess. I was tired all the time. I gained weight and mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck, I'm a skinny guy. I'm not supposed to... And it took many years for me to get it dialed in saying, I need to eat enough, first of all. Yeah. I need to eat enough protein, first of all, yeah. because that was really affecting my mental health. And then make sure that like, and I'm getting all that really good variety. I wasn't even eating enough. That's a big change. So yeah, I mean, I, I noticed that too. It's a big part of the mental health stuff. It's just something simple. Imagine a micronutrient deficiency can really change your mental health. I mean, that's what's so profound about this more holistic understanding of mental health is that we get slapped with these labels and we they start to become part of our identity. We think, I am someone with anxiety. Like, that will always be true. And what's actually true is that, you know, maybe you have a genetic predisposition, but as we say in functional medicine, genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. Yeah. And just focusing on genetics is not a very hopeful or empowering strategy. When we look at environment, that's the part we can control. Mm. And actually a lot of what we consider heavy duty mental health issues have a physical basis or have Mm. a psycho-spiritual basis. And we can change that. And so if you're walking around vitamin B12 deficient, you might be anxious your whole life. Your blood sugar might be on a roller coaster. You're having frequent panic attacks. You might be a slow metabolizer of caffeine. You're having like a tall cold brew every day. And you think of yourself as someone with heavy duty mental health issues when in fact, this is something that we can identify the root cause of, address, and you can walk away from that suffering. Mm. And yeah, it really just requires a little investigative work and some lifestyle changes and to do that with a light grip. Because as we talked about earlier, you can get really into this and yeah. it becomes a full, like a part-time job. And then you're choking down supplements and you're obsessively meal prepping. And so you kind of have to nudge your body into balance, but always from a place of ease and it has to be reasonable. Yeah. I, and I, I, again, I love that we're talking about the stress component to being healthy, right? And making sure you ease your way into that health and have mm-hmm. space, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Right. At least, you know, most of the week you're going to be dialed in and go, okay, yeah, I've I've meal prepped, I batched, I know all this stuff that I'm going to eat. I have a meal delivery service. And then, you know, allow space for yourself, which is so, so important. What about the gut? You mentioned gut health and the inflammation. How big of a role with your patients are you seeing people go, my mental health is a mess. Oh yeah, by the way, doc, my gut health has been a mess too at the same time. Yeah, so it's most people. And here's the part that I think we're not understanding yet as a culture. So we've started to appreciate the connection between the gut and the brain. And people are talking about that. That's a term in the zeitgeist now. But we assume it's all top-down communication. We assume that if we're anxious or we're stressed, it impacts our digestion. So we think, I have IBS because I have stress. And that's valid, but it's two-way communication. And in many ways, the easier entry point is to also recognize that something's off in the gut, which is so many of us because modern life makes a broad assault on the health of our digestive tract. Mm-hmm. Our foods are inflammatory. They, you know, everything about our lifestyle from antibiotics to chlorinated tap water to, you know, what we eat 
is disrupting the diverse ecosystem of beneficial bacteria and parasites and fungi. Like it's a whole mixed bag down there. Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Pure's O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Pure is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Pure.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Pure. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water or kombucha or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century-old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha, plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash DRG. You're going to get 15% off plus all those freebies. We're not exposed to microbes through dirt or animal feces, sort of these older ways that we were just getting an influx of microbes and consistent consumption of fermented foods that mm -hmm. was part of traditional diets. So we've compromised the ecosystem of bugs. We have an inflamed gut lining. A lot of us have a some degree of intestinal permeability or leaky mm -hmm. gut, which is provocative to our immune system through our whole body, which impacts the brain. But importantly, when the whole gut is out of balance, that's also sending information back up to the brain. It's bottom-up communication. And it's basically saying, things are not okay down here. Feel uneasy. 
so that you'll rest, so the gut can heal, so that you'll make slightly different choices. And that's the entry point that's more easily addressed than seven years of psychotherapy to, be, to address the top-down communication. Mm -hmm. And for many of us, we need some dedicated gut healing time. We need to heal the gut lining. We need to cultivate a diverse ecosystem of beneficial bacteria. We need to stop throwing things into our system that um, continuously irritate our gut. Mm. What are the top ways to do that then? I learned this first from Chris Kresser, and he's a, an author who wrote The Paleo Cure and Unconventional Medicine. And he describes it as, um, first you remove what irritates the gut. So get off the inflammatory foods if you can and identify which ones matter for you. For many of us, it's conventional American gluten. Um, dairy for some people, not for everybody. Industrial seed oils, mm -hmm. avoid it when possible. And then there's certain medications, things like antacids, unnecessary antibiotics, for some people birth control pill, for some people psych meds, stimulants. And so all of that can play a role. And then you add in what soothes the gut. So it could be glutamine, could be ghee, could be bone broth, um, could be collagen, and then create the conditions for the gut to heal. Mm. That starts with having a squatty potty. If anybody's listening right now and doesn't already have a squatty potty, run, don't walk, that's mm -hmm. essential. But then most of all, it's rest. Mm. Our whole body, the, the mechanisms of repair happen when we're in a state of rest and relaxation. Yeah. And that's in short supply in modern life. We need to say no, we need to put the phone down, we need to actually give our body the signal of this is a good time to do some housekeeping and repair mm -hmm. what's broken. Mm -hmm. and, and our body many times gives us that signal to go, hey, take it easy. And then yeah. we go, no, 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 I need to go to this event. Yeah. And it's like, please take it easy. Yeah. And then you just suppress it and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. We even give ourselves negative self-talk in that moment. Like, why am I so tired, unproductive, lazy? We assume right. the body is wrong and that we're somehow not good when the body is like, no, 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 like we live in modern life. The gut is very unwell. We need to rest. Yeah. I'm here to help, you know, is what the body is trying to Such convey. Such a powerful signal. We have to listen to our gut, yeah. you know, aside from intuition, listen to the gut, what it's trying to tell us. Why the squatty potty? You just mentioned that. Oh, yeah. So the squatty potty, it's this little stool. You can put the base of your toilet and you put your feet on it when you're having a bowel movement. And it approximates the squatting position. But for us in modern not native bodies that struggle to actually like squat, not that we have like a hole in the ground to use for squatting anyway. Mm -hmm. So you can still have a toilet, but you're approximating the squatting position, which is really important for the alignment of the sigmoid colon into the rectum, but also opening up sphincters. So when we're just sitting on a throne to have a bowel movement, we basically are pinching things off and right. there's a crank in the colon and there's also these partially closed sphincters that we're pushing against. And it means we have incomplete evacuation, and then there's sort of like a little bit of backing up, and then we have that alternating IBS between um, loose stool and constipation, mm. and can even lead to things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, heartburn, hemorrhoids. And this is all because we're just not having complete evacuation because we're not squatting. Just squ squatting. And I have yeah. one, I have the, what my friend has a company, and I was like, this is amazing. Why haven't I had this since like, the 90s. Yeah. 
what's happening here, you yeah. know? And it's so simple and cheap, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's but, my favorite kind of intervention, something that's inexpensive, non-invasive, and it freaking works for works. a reason that is has a biologic plausibility. It's, it makes sense. I'm imagining people right now listening with their glasses on on the computer. Exactly. Like, just minimizing our combo really quick and just looking for... <laughs> the orange glasses are another one, just like the squatty body. Exactly. Inexpensive, non-invasive, biologic plausibility, they work. And you mentioned, and this is, you knew where I was going. You mentioned the phone. Yeah. Okay, so the orange glasses are, for me, a non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. I, I have all my family on it, like, yeah. without fail. If I make a new <laughs> friend, I was like, you, I'm telling you right now, just listen to me. If I only say one thing. Uh, but how important is our protection from this light? So, I mean, the reason it matters is, it's, it's many reasons, but what happens, we evolved proverbial savanna of evolution, um, where if it was daytime, it was by definition light out. If it was nighttime, it was by definition dark out. We might sit by the fire for a couple hours, and then we could see the moon, the stars, bioluminescence. If you happen to be in Puerto Rico and otherwise, you're not seeing any light after sunset. And that is the design of our body, our whole circadian rhythm or sleep-wake cycle. It's cued by a part of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nuclei, and it's scanning the landscape all the time to see how much light there is and you know, watching the, the habits, the patterns of light. And it uses that for us to, for our bodies to know what time of day it is. And that was a foolproof system on the savanna of evolution. And now it's really vulnerable to being completely jacked up by modern life. Mm. So indoors during the day, but most importantly after sunset, surrounded by a psychedelic light show of laptops and TVs and overhead lighting and screens. So we're getting all this blue spectrum light. It simulates sunshine and it's telling our suprachiasmatic nuclei Good morning, it's 8 a.m. Even if we're just in bed doom scrolling at 11.45 p.m. And so what it does is it suppresses our melatonin so we never get appropriately tired and we miss melatonin, this endangered species of modern life. It's how we sleep deeply, it's how we repair, it's what revs up our immune response, it's helpful for mental health. It's really critical that we get that darkness at night. And when we miss it, we don't fall asleep, we don't stay asleep, we're missing immune health. We develop all kinds of issues with our immune response. And it's all because of the light. And mm-hmm. the nice thing is there is a definitive solution, which is like defenestrate your phone into the ocean and then move off the grid and have a chicken coop and have a well. And yeah. like, that's a great life. I, I envy that. But I think that short of homesteading, you can also just get blue blocking glasses. For sure. And yeah. they work. They work. So are they yeah. all created equal or are they, no, they're just... they're not. Yeah. yeah. So you just have to find a good quality you one. Find a good quality one. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of product test it for yourself. Like, I've gotten an array of them, and at home, I know which ones actually help me yeah. uh, fall asleep well and which ones I'm, like, staring at the phone close to bed, and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't think know if these this are does working. anything. Yeah. So the one, so I know that I, the, I'll use different ones, but I have ones at my house. Put it this way. Anytime I put on those blue blockers, I'm tired by 9.20, yeah, 9.30. Exactly. And if I don't, I naturally or unnaturally go to sleep at, like, 11.30, 12. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like, it's I've never been the one to, like, because I always try to, like, you know, wind down, watch a watch a little cool Netflix show or something, really, and then and then turn that off and do some, like, breathing and then, you know, take a shower, go to sleep. And I'll fall asleep during the show yeah. with my with my blockers on. Yeah. And I was like, I can't, this is not sustainable anymore. I can't even watch shows anymore because I'm just getting so tired so early now. And I thought of myself always as a night owl. And I realize now what I really am is someone sensitive to light. 
Yes. And so same. morning birds are sort of in, in certain ways less disrupted by the light exposure of modern light. And those of us that are night owls, in many ways, we're just more susceptible. I think about uh, this with my bipolar patients. Bipolar, it's, maybe that's my next book, but basically there's a lot of holistic ways to think about what makes people with bipolar more likely to be symptomatic. And I think a lot of people with bipolar are very light sensitive. Mm. So what happens is, you know, they're at the casino, they're, you know, they're up late with people looking at screens, watching TV, whatever it is, and their brain is just off to the races. They yeah. don't get that signal to get sleepy. And then it creates being awake all night, which induces a state of mania, which, you know, eventually induces a state of depression and creates that cyclical habit. And so, yeah, it turns out... It just be light sensitivity. There were just many of them. I mean, it's not, that's not the only thing yeah. going on with bipolar, yeah. but it's a factor. Wow, a major thing. Yeah. Where are you worried about the usage of cell phones when it comes to uh, creating anxiety as a society? Is it going up, and do you think cell phones are a big reason why? So it's going up. Cell phones are a big reason why. I think, to me, like, we can even just put that aside. We just accept it, establish it. It's fact. Yeah. More the question is, like, what do we do with that knowledge, and how do we realistically live our lives, given our awareness that this is a thing that's destructive to our mental health and destructive to the fabric of society? Um, what do we do? I, I think it's a real struggle. I mean, the... My line is, you know, at least don't bring the phone into the bedroom at night. Um, it's one small change that's realistic. And so you've at least protected the little bit of time before bed. You're not doom scrolling. Um, you're not disrupting your circadian rhythm as much. But what do you do the rest of the time? And I heard it once described as like, there was a moment when cars had been invented, but seatbelts had not yet been invented. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where we're at with cell phones, right? Like this is powerful machinery. It can enable our lives and it also has dangers. And we're all riding around just like swinging back and forth in the back seat. Like we don't have seatbelts on. And so we can, I think the onus right now is on us as individuals to figure out what's our etiquette, where do we put in protections. Mm. Um, for me, my non-negotiable protection is the phone doesn't come into the bedroom at night. And then there's a lot of more wiggly protection throughout the day of, um, it's, it's a mindfulness practice. It's catching myself when I went down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And as soon as I catch that, to put it away. And it's a lot like the Pringles, bet you can't eat just one. Like once you've had that mm -mm -mm crunch in your mouth, you just want to keep ingesting them. Your mouth then wants it. And the same thing happens for us with social media, with everything that doesn't have a natural stopping point on the phone. It's like, you know, you don't get the feeling of like, I just got to the end of TikTok. It's just more There's and more no and end. more dopamine. There is no end. And um, it requires an immense amount of proactive intervention to be like, put it away. And I think we just need to recognize that's what's asked of us right now if we want to protect our our sanity and our ability to be available for the present moment. I agree. I'll, I'll lay down on the couch with my partner. I'll be like, let's look at TikTok. Let's look at funny videos of monkeys and dogs <laughs> and fish that like act like humans. And then we'll just keep doing it. And then like really like 30 minutes later, I'll be like, should we get up and go? Should we go? And I'll say, should we go for another 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. there's so much dopamine utility in seeing this funny stuff. Because yeah. we, we're just waiting for a really funny video. And inevitably, they just show up. Yeah. And it is crazy how hard it is for me to just be like, all right, we're done. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go get ready. Yeah. Uh, and to think that, like, whatever mechanism, I mean, it's, it's purposeful for me. It's like whatever mechanism behind that phone, the intelligence of it, 
or the creation of the intelligence, it, how it affects our brain is crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. So oh, oftentimes what I'll do is uh, I'll have the yellow blockers during the day mm-hmm. uh, if, if I know that I'm going to be on the computer for a long time or on the phone for a long time. And then uh, I'll sometimes put the red light, like the triple click. Do you have that? The triple click and it shows the red tint on the phone. Oh. I'm going to show you this. sounds like a hack I'm going to show you off air. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I did a whole TikTok, uh, a TikTok on it and it showed... Uh, how to do, I felt like an old man when I said tic-tac. <laughs> it it shows how to candy. do it. I know. Are they but, not still around? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's delicious candy. It is. But um, the red light, yeah, the red tint. So it, it like, I'm less attracted to the colors. And it's kind of a boring phone when I have that on there. Yeah. But it stops me from scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So I don't know. It's what works for me. But I know this. My, I don't, I'm, I've never really suffered with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And my, my space and resiliency has become smaller and smaller and smaller the more time or more work that I had to do on the phone. Yeah. So it went from like four hours to five hours to six hours. And I saw that when I was like doing eight hours a day, my anxiety was like crazy. I was just overwhelmed about everything. Yeah. One new task in the day and I'm like, I can't do it. I'm done for the day. Yeah. And I, I know that this, this helps. The blockers... The practices have made a major, major difference. Well, it's interesting. Like, kids are a really useful weather vane in many ways because, like, when a grown-up has a blood sugar crash, we just feel, like, a little on edge and doomy and anxious, but we're, like, we don't know to identify with blood sugar. Um, When a kid is hungry, like, at least with my daughter, it's, like, World War III. It's a meltdown. Right. And similarly with screens, like, my husband and I will sit there, look at screens, and be, like, a little more irritable with each other. If she's looking at YouTube afterwards, she's completely dysregulated. It's, like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to wear shoes. I don't want anything. Like you, can, you can see right before your eyes how her nervous system just got jacked up from it. So, like, she's actually, a, you know, she's less compensated. Adults are so compensated. You right. know, we're sort of, like, pushing everything down. And it's, for, it's just right in front of you with children. You're like, okay, so this shit is toxic. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, I think that going back just to bedtime very quickly, an interesting piece of trivia is that when anthropologists look at humans, especially in pre-industrial societies, like hunter-gatherers who still exist on the earth today, they have a pretty consistent bedtime around three hours after sunset. Mm. And so, which makes sense. It's especially for us to not be just um, unsafely walking around where we might get eaten by a leopard or fall off a cliff. It's like you hang out by the fire, eat some food, socialize, and then you go to bed. And it varies a little bit, time of year, where you are on the globe. But that 9.20, you know, you start to feel sleepy when you're wearing blue blockers. When our, when our circadian rhythm is not falsely affected by blue light, our body gets a sweet spot of being perfectly tired around three hours after sunset. Wow. And if we catch that wave, we actually fall asleep easily. We don't get that tired and wired second wind. Yeah. We fall asleep without drama. We stay asleep through the night. Mm, interesting. That is really interesting because that's exactly what I've noticed. Right around yeah. three hours when I properly put it on. Like the sun will go down, I'll come back to my house and like the lights will be on, I'll just turn, like squint and then yeah, put them on yeah. and then I'll turn down everything. Th- those days, uh, uh, nights, I'm, down, I'm out by like 9.30. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting. So I would actually urge all the viewers and listeners, get some blue blockers, see when you're starting to get tired and then listen to your body. Mm-hmm. That fir- Because for me, I have a window. 20 minutes, if I don't fall asleep, Man, I'm good till like twelve o'clock. I'm ready to do some more stuff. I was like, I was like, 
I wonder like, like how old the universe is and then I'll just go down a rabbit hole for like two hours, you know? <laughs> do you know like that type of stuff? Yep. So, uh, but I would challenge everyone to do that. So uh, super, super cool. Can, can you tell us a little bit about this book now? Yeah. So central thesis of the book, it's called The Anatomy of Anxiety. And it's basically understanding that we've been thinking about mental health wrong, like neck up, genetically determined chemical imbalance. There's validity to that, but it's not helping us enough. And there's many people that are helped by that model, but so many people whose mental health is not adequately managed through that model. So we need, we need to do a little better. And I've started to recognize that the physical body plays an incredibly important role in our mental health. So the whole first half is like me with a Mr. Fix-It hat on with actionable strategies. Here's how you nourish yourself. Here's how you heal your gut. Mm. Here's how you realistically sleep well in modern life. Here's how you realistically exercise in modern life. There's a bit of a kind of like a transitional thing around using things like breath work and realistic amounts of meditation. It's like a daily multivitamin that just shifts your nervous system. You have a different threshold then to whether you'll be tipped into a stress response or into anxiety. And a little bit about completing the stress cycle, like how to release the inevitable stress that we take on. And then it shifts in the second half of the book. It's that whole first half, it's calling anxiety false anxiety. Mm. It's this unnecessary, avoidable anxiety that's based in the physical body. It's not false in the sense that the suffering is any less real. Yeah. Like, it's very real suffering. But there's a straightforward cause and a straightforward path out. And the second half of the book is about true anxiety. And this is not something we should be pathologizing. It's not something we can gluten-free or decaf coffee our way out of. It's our inner compass. It's purposeful anxiety. It's here to tap on our shoulder and be like, like, slow down, pay attention. It's like, hold up. You know you're not in alignment in this way in your life. Yeah. You know that you, you know, and whether it is you need to get out of this job, get out of this relationship, call your grandma, you need to make art, you need to help this cause that's important to you. Whatever it is, it can be grand, it can be really local and small, it doesn't matter. It's just an inner truth that we need to heed. It's a call to action. Yeah. And once we do, we don't feel so helplessly mired in our anxiety. It transmutes the feeling into purposeful action. I, that is like a true holistic doctor, holistic book. That is how, that's how we do it, right? Mm. We really, really help people on the physical and then we show them what it is on the true mental, emotional, even spiritual side. Yeah. That is how we treat anxiety. And I love that you're doing it like that. For the viewers and listeners, where do you practice? And how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I kind of practice on the internets at this point, but I live in New York City. Cool. Um, and I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm at ellenvoramd, mm -hmm. and my website is ellenvora.com. But my book, The Anatomy of Anxiety, is my life's work in 250 pages. So Amazing. that's a great way to take it, this holistic approach to mental health. It's, it's focused on anxiety, but it's supportive of depression, bipolar, insomnia, ADHD even. It really can help in a lot of ways. I'm excited. I want my copy. I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read 250 pages in 250 minutes. I'm ready to go. Wow. I'm going all in like a speed reader. <laughs> thank you for all the work you do. And thank you for simplifying so much for a lot of us. I know this conversation was really helpful. It brought a lot of fire into me, especially the parts going about community and all these things about creativity and art and like, whew, I'm fired up. Like I'm ready to go paint something tonight. Ah. Uh, so thank you. And uh, of course, when you're back in LA, come right back and we'll do part two of this talk. Sounds good. Dr. G, thanks for having me on.